people who haven't experienced combat, in, in, in my opinion, is Black Hawk Down. That, that to me is like the, the, the most, most, most realistic battle movie I've seen. And it was, it felt like it was just like that, but we weren't losing dudes. We were, they were dying all over the place, but our guys were still really safe. And then, so then we had to flex, you know, just like every, you know, he's not here, where do we gotta go? So creating those, number one, you just know, Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, I've got Diego Galde. Diego, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. Much, much, much appreciated, Jess. So, um, 20 years with the Navy, 15 years in the SEAL teams. You're now the founder over at the Trident Approach. Tell people what that is. So the most common question that I got when I was active duty in the, in the SEAL teams from corporate executives is, how is it that you communicate and work so well together? And I had answers for that, but I also realized that I was sort of lying when I was answering them because I would tell them best practices of what the SEALs did, but I was also adding things like connection to humanity and understanding of the self, which I didn't think were necessarily, you know, rampant in our community. So what happened when after I retired and I had, you know, just every option available to me on earth to be and what to do with my time and how to spend my time. I thought that that would be really cool to create something to communicate, you know, the message that people are looking for in the sense of what we do, but then also adding some more, I think, hidden things that could help them actually get what they're, what they're actually trying to do. Cool. So you got out in 2018 mm-hmm. and did you start it right after or did you do anything in between? Well, we were officially started in, in, july of 17 you know a year before i got out and and so i got out in may of 18 and our first event was with a with a tech company here in san diego that we did in in august of 18 and then we've been sort of off to the races uh since then you know minus COVID, of of course we're a very very in-person you know based company so so we went into hibernation there for about a year but yeah we've been pretty much rolling since 2018. that's fun and is and you've got about 30 guys, is that right, on the team? Yes. We don't bring them all out at once. You know, some, some like we work with YPOs a lot, for example, and some of those guys can be really small groups. So we like a group of, you know, 10 of them. So I'll bring out maybe one or two instructors. Or we'll have huge events with like Google or Hertz where they have, you know, over 150 to 300 people and then we'll bring out the whole the whole brigade there. And, and yeah, so it, it just depends. Yeah. So... People can probably guess some ideas of what's in these events, but but for people who haven't been to one, can you give us a bit of a rundown of what, what they could expect? Yeah, so what we try to do is go as deep as people will let us. People when people hear Navy SEALs, they get completely, you know, scared off. Like, oh my gosh, these guys are gonna kill us, they're gonna smash us and destroy us. And, and that's not what we do at all. What we try to do is get people to a place within themselves where whatever voices or or kind of stories that are being told within them kind of come up to the surface where they're sort of undeniable. 
they're forced to listen to what's the rhetoric that's going on inside their head. And it's, it's interesting because what I'm finding that that happens a lot of times for the first time. People don't, I hear a lot where people didn't even realize that there was this ongoing story kind of going on. So our, our events are designed just to get those stories to come up to top. And then once we hear what those stories are, then we can help them kind of figure out best ways ahead. And so the way we go about doing that is, you know, our events are super fun, but they're also super focused. So we have, you know, we, we do have some physical activity in there, but again, that's just to get these voices to kind of come to the top. And then once we understand what they are, then we break them up into teams and then we cycle through different stations that are designed specifically to elicit a very specific response, either in culture, trust, leadership, communication, consciousness, understanding of the ego, whatever it is. And so we put them through and they go through in teams just organically. You know, we don't give them much guidance, but, you know, they know what the end state is. But then at the end, we have a chance to say, hey, you know, did you mean to do this, you know, in the moment under stress? And a lot of times like, no, I didn't, you know, I didn't even realize I was doing that kind of thing. And, and okay, so if you wanted to do it different, how would you? And then we allow them to go through again. And the great thing about what I love, you know, what I love about what our, what our programs do is this is a safe place to make mistakes and everyone knows it, you know, the, you know, we, we've talked to everybody about these things. So no matter what you say, no matter what you do, it's fine. It is now that you're understanding and recognizing and got your hands on it, you know, if you could do anything different, how would you? And so what that does is allow people to sort of be themselves or what they think is themselves. And, and that's where the opportunity for growth and development comes from. So how much of it is like outdoor versus classroom work versus, and how long are your events typically? Yeah, so we're 100% customizable. No event we've ever done uh, has been the same as any previous. It just depends on what people need. We have you know, year-long programs, we have half-day programs, uh, we have in, uh, programs that are just designed entirely for keynotes, some are workshops, some are, you know, taking people out into the mountains, some are having people out on the beach. It, it just depends. For the vast majority of the programs, you know, it sounds something like, hey, we're going to be in San Diego, you know, for a couple of days, can your team come out for half a day and, and, and put us through? That's, that's kind of what it normally works out to be. So we'll take their teams out uh, on the beaches here in Mission Bay and uh, get them in the water, even if you can't swim. I think every every event that we've ever had, we've had at least one person doesn't know how to swim. It's all good. We're, everybody's wearing life jackets and you got a bunch of Navy SEALs around. You know, it's, it's, it's completely safe. But anyway, and the reason why we do that is because water changes a lot of things. It really puts people out of their comfort zone, even if you're in waist deep. Like, you know, it had to be deep for, for things to happen. So... It's something that's a really valuable tool that we love to, and it, and it really is helpful in individual growth for, for the people who are searching for a deeper part of themselves. That's an interesting comment. I, I think about water and I think like, you know, my parents were both lifeguards and so we did a lot of swimming as kids growing up, you know, in previous lives they've been lifeguards. And it was just kind of like the family thing we did. And then when I got married, moved down to Southern California, like I'm, I grew up a snowboarder, so I'm like, okay, we're surfing. That's why we moved to and Huntington Beach, right? And it is such a humbling thing sometimes. Like I would go out on days that were so big, like, you know, waves hitting the pier in Huntington Beach kind of days. And like, no, no chance that like Huntington just closes out at that point, right? But just to like be like to have the raw energy of like, 
laying on a surfboard and like going up and down by 15 feet in seconds, you know, kind of thing. But then like, I, I remember one day specifically, like it got so big. I was like, Ooh, I don't know if I can make it back in. Cause Huntington will, it kind of grinds you on the sand when you go over the falls or yeah. even if it just crashes on top of you. So if it's closeouts and you know, like I ended up just hanging out there for like 45 minutes, like almost, if you've been to Huntington, like almost as far out as yeah. the end of the pier. And, <laughs> but it is interesting. Like I just remember, cause I used to get up and surf every day before work. Uh, when I first moved there and I just remember like so many times just like being genuinely humbled by the ocean you're just like wow this is I I, I just can't think of a better way to say it like it's just a it's such a distinct comparison of your power versus its power and yours being minuscule you know anyways I don't know if you have any thoughts on that yeah well I a couple one one is I think well, really, that's what really separates SEALs from all the other special operations uh, organizations out there is, you know, we live in the water and it when it's a harsh environment is the harshest environment there can be. You don't have a lot of control. You can plan all you want. You can do all you want. But, you know, if the current shift or whatever it is, you know, it, it is humbling. And when most people, you know, I find go to the water, you know, they're, it's it's more like a frolicky thing or just, you know, just want to dip their toes in or maybe go for a swim and come back out. But but all of a sudden, when you get into that environment in a combat situation, now all of a sudden, you know, if you got four or five foot waves, which are not that big, but you've got all this equipment and boats and, you know, you're going at speed and, and weather gets, I mean, it's, everything changes. And so I think that I I feel what you're saying about it being humbling you can be the best swimmer and known seals to drown. You know, it's, you know, you can swim 20 miles, but you know, if the one wrong thing happens, you know, all bets are off. You got some equipment going on. You can't get detached from yourself, whatever it is. So, yeah, I think that's always, uh, there's always a healthy level of respect for all watermen, you know, whether you're in a kayak or you're a surfer or you're a seal like, Hey, you know, I'm in the arena right now. I got to keep my wits about me. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention that because it did kind of come up from us talking about our events is, is, is unless specifically requested, we don't take people on the waves. You know, people are just, I mean, even if they're slow rolling waves, I mean, people are just not used to that stuff. Where we do our events is if, if you've ever been to Mission Bay, it's just protected, amazing place. It's, it's basically just a saltwater lake. There are no currents really. And it's, it's it's safe and and you know you're good for you know, corporate go. liability yeah absolutely oh my gosh yeah yeah liability is a big thing you know we're insurance are like oh my god you put people out in the water and like yeah what, what was wrong <laughs> yeah. yeah but it is it is one of those things and and but even again it water is what it is so you don't need currents you don't need waves i sometimes i just ask people hey just just hold your breath and put your head underwater and come back up. And it is just like this thing, this bridge that they have to cross. So it's really beautiful to see, you know, having people in that safe environment be able to cross those thresholds that they wouldn't normally otherwise. So that's yeah, part of why we love what we do. The water really is is a big, big assist in that area. A question I have, I'm interested in your answer. I asked this question. So one of my favorite seals of all time that I met, you know, we talked about when I used to consult to the the group that you retired out of, right? One of the 06s that I met over there, I was talking about before we started, who who came on the show, Steve was, I want to, I want to see what your answer to the same question is. I, I think about like having spent a lot of time specifically with SF guys and unit guys and, and, and Force Recon Marine more so than MARSOC guys. 
But I feel like as much as those guys love their brothers, there's something like about, I don't know. I don't know if it's like because you rely rely on each other so much as swim buddies, but like the team factor is so intense with you guys. I'm interested in any thoughts you have on why that like the real like the depth of connection is so strong between certain team guys, maybe even more so than other soft operators. Yeah, I, I can't. I was a medic with the Marines before I became actually became a SEAL. It took me about 10 years to become a SEAL. So I, and I spent a lot of time with the Army and I have really close friends. Having said that, I can't really speak to how, you know, what it's like to be on an A team. Not really. So all I can speak to is how we feel and why we feel what we feel in the SEAL teams. And what I can say is if you could think of SEAL training or basic underwater demolition SEAL training, what people commonly refer to as BUDS, if you can think of that as sort of being reborn into a different way of life and a different way of being, you learn instantly the value of a swim buddy and the importance of a swim buddy, whether you want to or not. <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, if you're if you're more than an arm's length away from your swim buddy, you know, you and the whole class are going to pay, you know, and that's through pushups or, you know, what eight count bodybuilders or whatever it is. So, you know, BUDS is specifically designed to find out who belongs here. And, you know, people ask all the time, you know, if you're, because we talk about culture so much and strategy and, and these types of things. So what is the culture of the SEAL teams? And I say, never leave your swim buddy, never quit. There's always a way and a standard of excellence. If you can do those four things, then you belong in the SEAL community. And so what BUDS does is spend so much time, you know, focusing in on those areas that when you, when it comes time to graduate or to leave the nest, it's, you know, one of the four things you're carrying with yourself is never leave your swim buddy. So it's ingrained from us in a way from birth. And when you get to the SEAL teams, that is the standard. I mean, you know, it's not every school is sort of the way it is when you get out of the school and kind of go out into the real world, like getting an MBA or whatever. But is like the way it is when you get into the SEAL teams, like, hey, I mean, I'm for sure, when you're in the SEALs, you're not like going everywhere together, you know, without, you know, an arm's length away from somebody. But when you're operational, for sure, that is the standard. That is the expectation. That's that's the common language that we all speak. So, again, I can't speak for the other organizations that I have beyond uh, huge respect for for every other organization that's out there. But I can say pretty easily that I think that that's why we care so much about the teams within the SEAL teams is just part of our DNA. You know, as you were saying that, it made me think, remember I was telling you about that E9 that we went and taught that thing yeah. in Nigeria together? And we're like, yeah. you know, we're crashed out in this hotel room. There's like me and him and this recon guy sharing a hotel room. So you get real close over 10 days sharing a, sharing a hotel room with two other yeah. dudes, right? But we were friends already, but we were beyond friends after that, right? And yeah. he, he was close. He's big influence on me. You know, I'd stay at his house when I was in San Diego, stuff like this. He invited me to his retirement, the grinder there, you know, stuff like that. And as you were saying that, I remember him saying something to me like, well, when you're swimming through stuff that's like chocolate milk and you're in a hostile environment, 
sometimes. Like you, it's like you and him and that's it. Like you can't really express the like uncertainty plus hostile environment. Plus you can't see anything. And like this guy is your only lifeline to life. Like you can't overestimate what that bond is like. And when you're saying that, that story came to mind for me. Yeah, that's that's true. And that's what I love about these, you know, the whole process of going through SEAL training or, or, or if you're training for a marathon or whatever, whatever it is, when you go through these, those moments of, of stress and, and even to where you, you can get to your breaking point, you're not necessarily sure, you know, how things are going to go. That's really where you find out deeper parts of what's actually going on there that you'll never, never ever experience if you're living your life, you know, in clouds and rainbows and cotton candy and stuff like that. You know, you just, it's just, there's just no way to experience that. So for sure, part of the livelihood of being a SEAL at least twice a year for five weeks is to go underwater with a rebreather. And it's just you and your buddy, the only thing you can see is a glowing compass. That's it. Can't see anything else. And creatures come up and bump up against you in the dark and you're for under diving under a ship and you just hear the humming of the, you know, like, hey, this propeller, you know, this 30 foot tall propeller can just start moving at any moment. Yeah, I mean, you're you're ego starts to go on fire your mind starts to go on fire and all these things happen and you're absolutely and, and that master chief is absolutely right well okay i got my brother right here okay it, i'm not alone you know i got air so everything's okay it's it's true and it's a wonderful feeling to feel that way it, to feel that connected to somebody is it's unique i mean the same sort of feeling that you get on a battlefield like hey you know we're in this it's not common. It's not, I mean, anyone can feel it, but how could you if you're not in those situations? So, yeah. You know, I, I think it's so great that you've built this organization and that so many, you know, so many organizations are taking you up on the, on the opportunity to have you guys work with their people. And by the way, anybody wants to check out Diego's organization, go to the tridentapproach.com and, and check it out yourself. But, you know, it's actually that retirement party that sticks out to me. I remember, so after the thing at the grinder and blah, blah, we go back to his house and it's just a bunch of his closest buddies from their time. Right. And there, it was funny to me, like how normal and how different they were compared to my regular buddies. Like they're, they're talking about football. They're kind of complaining about their spouses, like regular dudes do about this and that and the other thing. Right. And and they've got the same worries about the mortgage and the whatever. Kidding me, you're like over hours. You know, like there's the high nice me, but over hours, like you find out who people really are when you're there for like an entire day together. Right. And then there's this other side of it that I thought about because, you know, he had a, he has a couple little kids and these other guys have kids. And for me, like there's a big benefit that I feel like the rest of this country has to learn from you guys about. I don't know, I describe it as like it's not all about me, like I, I think about. These guys, you know, they're talking about the one guy has really bad TBI and they were talking about that from a couple explosions and stuff. Yeah. And, and it's it's tough, you know, and you could just see like the brotherly love. It wasn't like the the regular like dudes. I have nothing wrong with me act like there's like this genuine brotherly love of like admitting like real vulnerability, like I'm screwed up, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And and um, it was like such a safe environment in my buddy's kitchen for them to talk about this together, you know, and. And like, I, it just had this thought that stuck with me ever since. I 
I don't usually cry on my own podcast, but I got emotional. No, I'm with you, brother. I think about this idea. All those guys in that room were literally willing to die and give up their lives on those missions and have their kids grow up without a dad so that my kids don't have to. And I don't know, that just like stuck with me ever since of like, I think people talk about sacrifice and it's a pretty hypothetical thing in most of, or like, would you die for your country? Stuff like that. It's pretty hypothetical for basically 99% of the rest of my friends. And like in that kitchen, hearing about the multiple explosions that guy had, had luckily survived and stuff that you can tell like very easily might not have. I don't know. I think that there's a, there's a element of selflessness that you guys live and you don't even realize it because you spend so much time with each other and you all have this feeling that, man, I think our country would be a better country if more of us could, could get more of that in our bones like you guys have. First, I'm honored to be in this place with you right now. Genuinely, thank you so much for the, for that. Because that, to me, that's real living, man. <laughs> you know, you know, there's no makeup going on here. This is this is real stuff, and and to feel just like this profound level of gratitude that you have for you know, what the military community does and and who they are and how they are. I I just feel like I'm lucky to hear that that stuff. So thank you so much. Well, that's my version of thank you for your service. Oh, man, you're welcome. And thank you for yours, you know? Yeah. So... You were saying that, you know, in a really great version of the way things are, that that the more more Americans would would, would be that connected in terms of you know not not being so selfish, and I and I know that we all are, and it's not just Americans; it's it's humanity all the world around. We already are that connected we we already are in a place where we are willing and capable of doing superhuman feats simply for no other reason than just to do it for someone else uh, the problem is or i don't know it's the problem but but one of the things that we have to grow past and this is what i love so much about what we do is is we just need to separate from the rat race of all this static of ego driven existence of you know i i need i need to be safe i need to be taken care of. i need you know i need this i need this and because people who think in that way don't have what they need in some way shape or form i don't know what it is whether it's uh love or support or you know, healthy organs, whatever it is. But I think the reason why people in the military, you know, law enforcement and the fire department, all that stuff is, you know, you know, <laughs> all the nurses and doctors going through COVID and all that. I think the reason why maybe that in some instances may not necessarily be a thing is because we don't have to worry about that. We got it. We got that part. So we have energy and, 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 
I guess another way to say it is, you know, people talk about values and principles a lot. And, you know, I get, like I can say, for example, like one of my, one of my values is honesty and integrity for sure. But if you hold up a pistol to somebody in my family's head and, uh, and they ask me to tell them some, I will tell you, I will tell you whatever you need me to tell you in order for that situation to become safe. So values were, so, so values are, are really based on resources. You know, as long as everyone's safe, yes, I'm going to be honest. And you can do that up and down the line for everything. And so I think the reason why more of a collective part of humanity doesn't have this collective team thing is because they don't have that as a resource where it's in spades in the military or in any of these organizations where your lives depend on each other. And all it is is a shift in consciousness and awareness. Well, wait a minute. You know, when you see people in need, I mean, you're always looking around and find people who are there to serve, always. So it actually is there. We just, for whatever reason, we're just not internalizing it. And so, you know, some people don't feel that, but it is already there. All we have to do is just slow down a little bit and see how awesome everything is and how awesome each other really are you know, transcend the, the media message and that and see ourselves and each other for who we really are and see that all of that is there. It, it's all there. You know, I think the next question I have, uh, thank you for sharing that. I think the next question I have is, is related to something you just said about don't quit. You know, mm-hmm. it's funny with, again, because I spend a lot more of my time with, with Yusasak guys army guys yeah, yeah. and there's the natural army navy rivalry and you guys like to rib each other especially when the other ones aren't around sometimes right i was surprised to get a navy seal book from an active duty unit guy and he gave me the mm-hmm. goggins book and when you think about this idea i i really enjoy a number of the nonfiction seal books and i i think that there's like i'm interested in your thoughts on this it feels like the never quit attitude is something that can be like a little bit baked in, but can definitely be grown within us. Do you have any thoughts about entrepreneurs or athletes or anybody listening that wants to cultivate more, more of an ability to not quit and they want to conquer that desire to quit within themselves and to, to give in when things are hard? Uh, you know, man, it, that, that's a loaded question. <laughs> so, if someone has quit within them, you know, no book or whatever is going to, to really help them there, there is a resilience to humanity that exists just like the connect connectivity. But if it's not, you know, readily apparent or on the surface, essentially all it means is healing needs to be done. So if you have a team of 15 people and three of them, you know, tend to kind of quit whenever it's not about, Hey, this is the value in not quitting. It's about all of us are capable of doing what it is that we got going on here, but you're not able to in the moment, you know, what's going on. And without getting too deep, you know, almost always that stuff really trails back into childhood, you know, stuff we grew up with, you know, things that were kind of had handed down to us either in our DNA or by experience, whatever it is, you heal those things and you don't have to worry about it. But I think part of where I'm excited to see our 
the human race go is to look at those things as not as weaknesses, but just opportunities for growth and strengthening and healing and all that. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, you don't have to get into, you know, you're going to find it. You were, we all know the value of perseverance and persistence. We, we know that over, over time things will change and, you know, just keep going, just keep going. Entrepreneurs, the whole deal, your company's going to succeed if you don't quit. Plain and simple. We all know that. But still, there are some people that still quit. So it's just really a matter of, you know, if you did quit anything, whatever it is, you know, the, the deeper question is, you know, why did you quit? And, and, and why all that stuff to death? And once you figure out what that thing is, that the nucleus behind where you can't why it anymore down, you can't whittle it anymore down, then, then if you pay specific attention to healing that and strengthening it and developing it to where that now becomes a power for you. There is, there is no quit. Yeah. You know, I feel like there's nuances. Like Warren Buffett says, if you find your, when he's talking about businesses that have poor underlying economics, like it's just not a good industry, right? He's like, if you find yourself in a leaky boat, energy is typically better spent finding a new boat instead of bailing out the one you're in. Like, Mm -hmm. and, and obviously, you know, I think about that same guy, the retirement party guy, you know, he was always saying, be, be like Gumby, you know, be flexible. Like, don't, don't yeah. let this situation break you. Right. Yeah. Adapt, overcome. So I don't mean like never quit, you know, keep hitting your head against a wall, but those times when you're like, man, this and the grass looks greener elsewhere, but you know, you're kind of rationalizing. Those are the times I'm thinking of, uh, I'm interested for you. Like, the toughest time in buds, the toughest times in hell week, things like that. What, what did you tell yourself or what, what did that look like for you? Overcoming hardship. So I went through buds almost twice. I, I, I went the first time when I had just turned 20 and I was there for four months. I was out of shape, wasn't ready to be there. And Friday before hell week, they called me in the office and said, Hey man, you're, you're not welcome here anymore. See you later. And because I failed like literally every time to run. And you know, so I spent the next eight years, you know, just having really just really terrible dreams for about, you know, three times a month about not making it through. And I finally went back at 29. So going through buds that, that second time, I mean, all of it was an honor. Like it wasn't, you know, when I went through when I was 20, I'm like, you know, Hey, I applied to be here, made it here. Like, you know what? But when I went back, I was like every day that I was there, it I, w- I was grateful to be there. So in a sense, you know, even in hell week, it was, I was in like an awareness of that. This is a celebration, you know? <laughs> so it was, I mean, for sure it hurt. And, you know, the boat on top of my head, my neck popped and I felt like I, I thought I broke my neck, you know, and all of that stuff. And it hurt and everything like that. But I had been through so, so, so much self-inflicted pain, you know, in that, you know, eight or nine year gap in between that I thought no matter what is going on, it's, it's not as bad as that. So it was, so for me in that moment, it was, I don't know, it, it's kind of hard to explain. I was just, I was just really grateful to be there. And, you know, and by, by the day, you know, it was like every day was brand new. The first time I went through when I was struggling tremendously, 
I did find in the swims and then the water not tying the breath holes and all that stuff, but it was just the soft sand running that was just destroying me. And my bones were like, hey, dude, you didn't, we're not ready for this. What are you doing? I, there's a saying in the SEAL teams, it's too stupid to quit. And I was, I was just like, well, getting back up and we're getting ready to go to do a day of buds and logs and boats and stuff. Well, here we go. You know, I mean, I really felt like I was, I was, I was that way. It was just quitting wasn't, a, it just wasn't a thing for me. Cause I, you know, even, even getting to buds for me took two years. I mean, there was every way you could fail or whatever to even get there. I had to pass. So I don't know. Yeah. When I, even when it was as hard, as hard, as hard, as, as hard, as hard as it could be, I was just like, well, you know, like this is my life, (laughs) you know, just quit life kind of thing. And, and so I just kind of endured it. So, you know, I, you know, I don't feel like I have the best answer for you there, but yeah. But to me, there's a lot baked into that. Like I think about this concept of like, how much of life is a choice? Do you know the Viktor Frankl book, Man's Search for Meaning? No. So good. Survivor of Auschwitz. Incredible guy. Mm. Basically, yeah, basically I feel like the point of the book is you can, you can take away my research and all my prestige in life. You can kill my family, take them away from me. You can take everything away from me except for my right to choose how I'm going to feel and react to you taking mm. everything away from me. Yes. Uh, anyways, really great book. Recommend it to anybody. Seems like the kind of book you'd like. But I don't know. I feel like there's a lot in that answer of like just choosing to decide this is my life. You know, it's like marriage. Marriage is so hard. Right. And for the people who feel like divorce, you know, who feel like divorce is easy and divorce is a like people have very different attitudes about divorce. You know, like you talk to some people and they like they got their wife's name as a tattoo and somebody says, I'm like, that's a big commitment. You're like, what? And yeah, the yeah. marriage wasn't? <laughs> Do you yeah. know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And like there, it's, there is a mindset of like, you know, am I in this as long as it's not hard or like. Or is this my life? You know what I mean? Like, am I in this either way? You know? And I think that, like, anyways, I feel like there is a lot in that answer. of Like, you just deciding, like, no, this is this is my life. You know, quit life. You, you figure it out. It's a fundamental framing of what the problem you're looking at. Yeah, I, th- I think the one thing that I would add into that is it was organic how I was feeling. I didn't. I didn't say, okay, so what do I have to do to get this mindset? Well, you know what I mean? And, that, and, and that's what I mean. I, I think the real valuable answers in that are like people who just really, they struggle with quitting. They've quit everything in their life. And finally, one day, they just didn't quit because they figured out the answer. We're all born with with things. It's the same reason why a five-year-old or a three-year-old can walk up to a piano bench and say, hey, what's this? And just start knocking out music. I, I feel like perseverance and persistence was one of the things that I... I, it just was, was, was part of me. So for, for people who are struggling with, with, you know, quitting or whatever, other, other than healing, I, you know, I'm not much of a resource because I just have talents that, that some talents that, that other people don't. And if I could just really understand on a deeper, deeper level, what they're actually going through, man, I feel like I could be so much more valuable. I was born not to quit. Like who cares? You know, it's who cares about that story. It's the people who have overcome just this gnawing, egoic pain of, you know, quitting every day and then finally defeated that. Those are, that's the answer that I want to hear. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, I think that's why I like the David Goggins book so much is nobody mm-hmm. told me he could be a sale. He had to lose 100 pounds to even 
be allowed to try out. And like he, yeah. he basically talks about a lifestyle of quitting, 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 quitting. And then yeah. he decided, he just decided like, I'm going to change that habit in myself. And, Amazing. and he did it so fully that I feel like he yeah. gives hope to other people. Like, you know, rewiring the mind is not an easy thing to do. And he did it. And yeah. that's incredible. When you think about the kind of guys that you select to, to, Come, come join uh, the Trident approach. We, we were talking for a minute before the show about how not every seal is right for the work that you do. What does your selection process look like? What are, the, what are the attributes? What are the things that you're looking for? Well, the reason why people are reaching out to us at all is because we are seals. So that's, that's kind of the, the, the starting point. Or also for sure, I mean, the people that, that support us operationally. So not every one of our instructors is a SEAL. We have boat guys, we have, you know, electronic warfare guys, we have intel people, but people who understand our community. These conversations that you and I are having right now, they, they know this way of life. They only know what it is like to depend on somebody else. That's starting point. But then after that is, you know, what's your level of emotional intelligence? How much do you actually genuinely care about other people where you don't have to be the center of attention for anything. It's like they are what, what truly matters in that moment. And not only that, when they're going through some, maybe some potentially dark moments for themselves, it's not like, Hey, you know, get your ass up or get out of here. One of the two it's, you know, how can I get down there with you and then just be with you as you're going through this. It's a completely different mindset. You know, I say most SEALs because, I mean, there is that standard of excellence. And there is this this whole, you know, the expectation is that everyone around me will be this way. And, you know, the Trident approach, we're not in the SEAL teams anymore. We are wherever you are. And so if your organization or, or your team is, you know, that's how, how we have to be. We're not, you know, one of the things that we don't do is we don't tell people what to do at all. We just stand shoulder to shoulder with you and help you find your way. That's not common in the team. It's like, hey, this is how you do it. You know, this is the standard, you know, go ahead and make it happen. And if you can't, you know, either leave or keep trying until you get it, you know, um, almost absent of emotion, the Trident approach is very emotional. Our events are very, very emotional. It's, it's common for crying to happen, what you experienced. Maybe, you did? Yeah, I think, well, I th honestly, that's a big thing. You know, I, and, and, and we set the stage for these things to just come out. Release, healing, which I see that as just being healing and, and, and just being human, because we are. And that's really where, you know, okay, if you're in, if you're in, if you have those components within you, then we can start talking more about, you know, if you're the right fit for the Trident approach. And to be honest, with you, I did the math as best as I could. There was a number I had to guess, which is how many, what, what percentage of, of SEALs are, have this really high level emotional intelligence. And the math that I came up with was 0.0002% of the American population is the right fit for the Trident approach. Mm -hmm. So it's this wide spectrum of, I don't know you, but I love you genuinely. And then, but we have combat experience and then we have, you know, this, this understanding of what it is to be in and lead elite teams. And so it's a really cool, really cool team to be a part of. You know, I'm interested. I'm, I'm a real book nerd. I listen to multiple audiobooks a week kind of guy. 
And one of my favorite books recently is the Netflix CEO, Reed Hastings, wrote this book mm-hmm. called No Rules Rules. And he said, mm-hmm. what if we think about family, what if we think about businesses less like a family and more like a pro sports team where we're looking for mm-hmm. the right person for the job at the right time kind of thing. And, and it really made me think a lot of your community and selection and kind of like, hey, you know, we're going to teach you a lot of stuff, but you've got to be at the, you've got to be at this level before we can teach you stuff because we just, we have too many, like the mission is too important. You're going to have to, <laughs> if you can't get up to our initial standards to try out, we can't help you with that. Like you got to get that part by yourself and then we can add on top. Yeah. And, and that's a high bar, right? And you look at, yeah. you look at buds and the failure rate and, and this kind of thing before you go for another two and a half years of <laughs> learning how to be a SEAL. I think, I think a lot of the, you know, me, the civilian world doesn't understand like, Buds is not, Buds is not the whole story, you know, after that, how much more there is after that, right? But my question for you is, let's say entrepreneurs listening today or investment fund managers or people are maybe wanting to look more seriously at like, hey, if we really believe in what we're doing and we think that we want to increase our talent density at our organization and they're rethinking Mm -hmm. what does our selection process look like for for organizations. So obviously selecting for different traits than the teams are or even that you are at the training approach. But are there any principles for selection when you're looking for a high talent, high talent density or, or just yeah. any thoughts that you'd have? Yes, a lot. Um, one of them is, you know, familiar probably with Simon Sinek, start with why he's got a, he's got a bunch of videos out on that. And, but one of the videos he says, slow kind of a fast way to find out your why is to, go to your closest friends. You can't go to your family because they're kind of too close, but your closest friends and say, hey, why are we friends? Um, And then if they give some sort of surface answer that could really apply to anybody. So, well, what is it specifically about me that you would always be there for me no matter what? What is it about me that you would always be there for no matter what? And the responses that you get or that you could get are really, really powerful. And, you know, it, it can bring even those closer, close friendships closer. But, but when you start to take out sort of the, the really significant words in there, you can do that with your organization too. So what are these like key, key words within your organization? You know, one of mine, one of the words that came up for me a lot was adventure, you know, and trust and those kinds of things. So I was like, oh, okay, well, then part of the trial approach is adventure, right? Because it is me. And it was a reflection of, of me. And, that, and the same is true, like I said, for organization. So when if you can get a deep understanding of your organization on that level of like, what is it about us? That you, and you can even ask this of your, you know, if you're, if you're doing the best you can, maybe you have relationships with your clients that you can have these kinds of conversations with about, you know, that are not so clinical and sterile. A lot of our clients, you know, I mean, we're friends, you know, so I could ask them about this, about the Trident approach. What is it about us? And then once you find out all those key words and you get a couple of points of, of data to collect from, I mean, there's your hiring process right there. You know, do you have a sense of adventure? Are you, you know, are you loyal beyond loyal? Do you, you know... Do you create a sense of, of belonging and sharing and whatever it is, whatever it is, that can be really helpful, I think. And instead of like what you were talking about, can you do the job? 
you know, they have nothing to do with each other. Most of the times you can teach, you can train people to do what they, but, but are they just organically matched with your organization? I think is, is a big thing that, that people overlook. At least it seems common. But also the thing is though, it seems like a lot of people know that, but there is something in the way of, of, you know, making that actually happen. They, they know they can train people. They know that, that it's very important how these people are. So, I think one thing that I can say that can help them bridge the gap between, you know, who are you and who are we is just to interview through stories, you know, not like, where'd you go to school or what's your favorite thing? Like just elicit as many stories as you can out of these people and they're going to get excited, hopefully. And as they're going about their answers, you know, just look for those words, those key words that, that are deep reflections of your organization. And if those things are kind of coming out, you know, over and over again, it's like, oh, this, this person might work. But it's so complicated. People are complicated, man. You know, you know, I am right now in this moment different in some ways than I would be in other places, you know, just for all kinds of reasons, you know, you know, my wife has a cold right now that has an impact on me, you know, whatever my, my daughter had to have her friend come over to talk and I don't know what she was talking about. So that has an impact on me. So all those things can happen. So anybody who's interviewing you, you don't know what they're going through. They don't know if they lost somebody from COVID recently. You don't know any of those things. So it's, you know, there's no like, Oh, okay, cool. That's what I got to do. And this is done. It takes time. Yeah. It is yeah. what it is. You know, so when you got out, you were senior chief petty officer. Is that right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. When, when you think about when you think about one of the lessons you learned or one of the like most impactful experiences downrange, is there a story you can share with us? Yeah, <laughs> probably have maybe you know a hundred or so. So just stories downrange. Yeah, we. We're going through Ramadi. I went to Ramadi. I've been to Ramadi twice. And Ramadi at the time, both times, well, no, the first time that I went there was like one of the worst places. In all the war zones, it was just like one of the worst places there was. And and we were getting shot at. And and so we immediately began to pursue this person who was shooting us or shooting at us. And, you know, I kicked in the door. I had, you know, my weapon pointed and he dropped his weapon and so i immediately went over there to secure him and put zip zip ties on him and, and these types of things and all of a sudden you go on through the normal procedure stuff you know things really de-escalate de really really quickly after that and you kind of transition from you know trying to kill this guy to all right so now we gotta whatever but in that in that moment in that gap of you know, this person is no longer trying to kill us and us leaving. I really felt, and I'm not saying that I'm right, but I really, really felt that if he could have been doing anything else that day, he would have been. That the assumption of like this driving hate that's like 24 hours a day, in, in my mind, was what was probably happening with the enemy at all times. I didn't see that in him at all. I didn't feel it in him. And, you know, these things kind of go through your mind. For me, you know, in, in like a flash, a tenth of a second. And so when that went through my mind, you know, I, I just looked at him and I rubbed his shoulder. 
And he looked up at me and he's again, he started crying. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I knew uh, it was you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, I don't know what happened to him after that. We just, we arrested him, whatever. Took him to the, I forget the TIF or whatever. I can't remember what it was called. Tactical holding facility, basically like a jail. But, you know, just the insanity, the, the, the politics behind everything, the, cultural tension, everything, you know, the fear of like Saddam's regime, everything just all culminated into wanting to kind of create this war. And I know that human beings can get swept up into things that are necessarily of their design or, or, or whatever. And I don't know this guy's story. I have no idea. To be honest with you, I don't really care. All I can say is that I felt in that, in that, in that moment, which is just a man, I mean, that's an amazing moment to look at somebody who was literally just try, trying their very best to kill you just two seconds ago. And it was different than, oh shoot, I'm caught, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do, hold on, <laughs> like time out, time out, I quit. Like it wasn't that, it was just, it was, I, I don't know what's going on in my life. I, you know, something like that. And that always, that always stuck with me. And I was really grateful for that moment. I'm sure he was too, because you know, I think by all rights, I, I would have, I would have been fine if I would have shot him. I would have been protected by the law, but whatever. It just, you know, I'm glad it turned out the way that it did. I'm glad I got to see that in him, straight in the face of somebody. You know, the per, you know, the purpose of us being there in the first place. It was really powerful moment. It's interesting that human to human connection, right? You know, I, earlier I talked about team teaching that class with that 25 year seal over in Nigeria, right? Mm-hmm. And it was this idea of like, they're dealing with Boko Haram, who, who just kidnapped those 200 girls yeah. and was causing huge headaches and killing people yeah. in the country, right? Terrorizing. And we taught this class, we team taught this class together about how, so I was with this group called the Arbinger Institute. A lot of stuff is based on this Austrian philosopher from 100 years ago named Martin Buber, who says like, he thinks our biggest people problems come not from what we say or do, but how we were thinking about people when we said it or did it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Am I thinking about you like a real life human being like me or like a piece of dirt? Right. Yeah. So he says an object. Are you objectifying them? Right. Yeah. And so I had a bunch of stories from the SWAT team commander from Kansas City that I was that he had prepped me to tell. And then the guy I was with told his stories and like even simple things, you know, less dramatic than than your story of like, you know, they had to clear streets and they have to check all these cars for bombs in the trunk and stuff like this. Right. Yeah. So they're like, they really do not want to be out in the open and get sniped. And so they're just crowbarring these trunks and like, get out, get on, like, get out of the, get out of there as soon yeah. as you can. Right. And he says like, they, he's like, by being a little bit more human, we actually got way more effective. Like we started noticing there weren't, there weren't like cars around, you know? So we mm-hmm. like, we started talking to people we like, Hey, where are all the cars? And they're like, well, you know, we like that you're getting the insurgents out of our neighborhood, but like, it'd be great if you weren't like breaking our windows and, and, and crowbarring our cars. So we all like learned not to park them here because you guys will do that. Yeah. And he's like, he just had this like flash of like, oh, it's not just all about me. And he starts thinking in general, he's like, you want to know what's faster than crowbarring a trunk to see if there's a bomb in it? Asking the 11 year old outside to run in the house and grab the keys. That's actually faster. You want to keep your guys safe? It is actually safer for my whole team to ask to ask if somebody can grab the keys and come and come open the trunk without destroying their damage. He's like, 
simple little thing, but by considering their humanity at the same time, A, how much greater is that for them that I'm not breaking their stuff? And B, it actually keeps my guy safer. And it's just that little bit, it's like the tactical advantage of thinking about other humans as a human. It is the thing. What you're talking about, essentially breaking it all down to its core, is just ego versus not fear. And when we're operating from a place of fear, it, we are operating from the smallest version of ourselves. And then if, and so what he did was he made that transition from fear to love. Hey, how can we support? And I, I think that there's a way to do that in a powerful way and to get exactly what we're hoping for through love, vice fear, you know, leaving the rat race for, I think is the way ahead. And that's what I'm so excited about. Heck, cause these conversations, like the conversation that you and I are having right now is, is not unusual when people are starting to understand like you can't live your life completely through fear decision-making process through, well, what if this happens and then who will hold accountable for this? And all that noise, it just brings out the smallest in us that there's so much more that we're capable of bringing to the table. And that comes through love really. I love it. Well, can we, can we go for another downrange story back to our previous yeah, topic sure. of the don't, of the don't quit? Is there, can you think of some time like a firefight or yeah. super tight situation and like the don't quit attitude made all the difference and you adapted instead of succumbed? Yeah. So we, we were going into uh Solder City, which was at, at that time, that was the most dangerous place that we knew of. And we were going in for our first, most missions are, are capture kill missions. This mission was a kill capture mission, which meant that we were within the rules of, of war, able to just kill this guy straight off the bat. We didn't have to, as long as we positively identified the guy, you know, so we were all excited about him. He was the one guy that we wanted to get, you know, from the moment that we showed up and on to deployment he was he was like our number one and yes and so we 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 got the trigger mechanism hey he's there let's go and so they normally we're, we're used to just going out in our you know our humvees you know just our our task unit going to do gonna go do this hit but but because we were going to solder city they're like hey you guys need helicopters you need tanks you need all this stuff and so we stopped to go pick up the tanks and on the way out of the, out of the base, one of the tanks is the transmission blew. It was, they couldn't get out of first gear. And so if I remember right, it took a, it should have taken us like maybe 40 minutes to get to solder city from where we were at the Baghdad international airport. And we were maybe supposed to do the hit, you know, somewhere around two o'clock in the morning or something. We didn't get there till like seven in the morning and it was completely broad daylight. And because we were not able to get out of first gear with the tank, cause you know, we're going with all of these people. They saw us coming from forever ago. <laughs> so there was, there's all this imagery of somebody going to a, somebody's door, knocking on the door and leaving. And just a couple of minutes later, like four or five people piling out with AK-47. So all of Solder City was ready for us. And, uh, and we're, we're showing up. I, I'm sitting there in, uh, I've got visual on the camera what's going on. I got my night vision glasses on because it was, it was nighttime and I fell asleep because we were, you know, whatever. It was getting close to my bedtime. And all of a sudden, you know, we stopped and all of a sudden I get this kick in the shoulder of like VDO, get out of the vehicle kind of thing. And guys screaming at me. I'm like, okay, okay. So I, I, I get out and all of a sudden, 
you know, two things I noticed. One, the sun was up. I'm like, well, that's not normal. And two, is there was all this, you know, automatic machine gun fire going off everywhere. I'm like, oh, okay, well, here we go. And so the door goes down and, and we hop out. And the first thing you do when you're getting shot at is you kind of get down. So I found a little ditch to get down into and kind of get my wits about me. I knew where we were from the briefs and everything. I knew where we had to go. But then all of a sudden, you know, and, and I had my guys that I had to, to kind of keep track of. And all of a sudden I looked down and this ditch that I jumped into was like a sewer ditch. So I was like completely covered in, it was black. I'm total black, you know, Iraqi excrement. And I was just like, man, you know, it's funny when you think about, you know, what your responses would be when, you know, you're like literally about to die, like in two seconds. And for sure, I can tell you that the overwhelming feeling that I had was just this huge, I'm covered in right now. (laughs) Okay, cool. So now we got to do this. So anyway, I I got the guys, we had our other guys and we were ready to go to the, to the target building. So we got up and we, we laid a charge on the store and it was actually a school where, where we had intelligence that he was, he was actually at, it was, you know, was no longer a school. It was like his, his compound. So then all of a sudden we looked at, Hey, where's the dog handler? Cause we brought this dog handler that we didn't normally have. And then all of a sudden, while the whole city is on fire, we had to go for like through a search and rescue mission for this dog handler in the middle of a dog in, in the middle of a firefight without getting anything. And so there was all this, you know, where'd he go? He was, he was this army national guard guy who was an amazing dude, but he just, he, we had been working together for years. He knows he, we know everything about each other, where we're going to go, what we're going to do all this stuff. He's, he's just like, Hey, so anyway, it was, the funny thing was there was like one of those like 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 floor freezers, you know, something that you would put in your garage that, so, you know, you fill up with steaks. He just happened to grab his dog and get inside of that thing. <laughs> I don't know how we found him, but we found him. So bullets are flying, explosives are going off, heavy guns are going off. And all of a sudden we go to the school, we blow up the, we blow up the door and we go clear the school. He's completely not there. But now all the solder city is just coming in after us. And you're seeing all these Apache helicopters and stuff. Everyone, I mean, just everything is just going off all at once. It was just the best movie that I can use to describe for people who haven't experienced combat. In, in, in my opinion, it was Black Hawk Down. That, that to me is like the, the, the most, most, most realistic battle movie I've seen. And it, was, it felt like it was just like that. But we weren't losing dudes. We were... They were dying all over the place, but our guys were still really safe. And then, so then we had to flex, you know, just like every, you know, he's not here. Where do we got to go? So creating those, number one, you just know, you just know that your plans aren't going to work. You just, you just know that they are. It's just, you, you make plans for just because, but you know, they're not going to. So we had to flex to all these kinds of different locations, which is very, very, very common. But when you think about it in, in terms of, you know, not doing this before, it could be a very complex thing to go make an entry on a house. But for us, it's just like, hey, we're used to this thing. He's not here. Where is he going to be at? Well, anyway, we hopped in to vehicles and we moved to another place. He wasn't there either, but everything was kind of going so badly that we just had to leave and we hit an IED on the way out. And uh, but everybody was fine, and we, and we ended up making it out there. We had our dog handler back, and all that. Side story was the reason why Solder City was so alive like that. We didn't realize it until a couple of weeks later that there was a team of British journalists that were being held captive, like right across the street, and we didn't even know it. 
So it was just like, because we were just trying to figure out like, what is it? Why is like the world is ending? Like what is going on? But anyway, so we're talking about Gumby, you know, or talking about flexing is just, then this is something that we talk about too, is just dropping expectations and, and just understanding what is, right? That's something I think that the SEALs do that's way above in terms of like trying to pursue consciousness. Like, I don't care, you know, what could have, should have, would have, what is. And so he wasn't there anymore. Or, hey, we can't go and blow up this door yet because we got to find our dog. And like, nobody's like, who, how come nobody, you know, it was none of that. And I love, you know, telling that story about Captain Stolenberger from the the pilot from, from it was the United Airlines where he landed, he, land, he landed in the Hudson River. You know, when the bird strikes hit and the engines were failed, he wasn't like, how come, how come they don't design these engines better? How come, yeah, how come they don't have like these radar things that kill birds or, you know, it wasn't that. It was like bird strike, we're landing in the Hudson. And it was just immediately going to problem solving mode rather than, you know, you know, who do we hold accountable for this? Like, what's the problem? Like, how come this happened? And so I, I think the, the reason why the SEAL teams and, and, and all other military units and, and, are, are so good at this is because, you know, just like Mike Tyson says, you know, nothing, nothing lasts, no, no plan lasts beyond the first, you know, get somebody gets uh, punched in the mouth, you know, that's it. And so it's the expectation that things are going to change, but when they change, how are we going to respond? And so all of those things, like literally nothing got done that day, rather than, except for a bunch of bad guys dying, but it was just flowing from one from one situation to the next, receiving it how it was and not getting too spun up about it and just and just doing what needed to be done and just moving on. It was, I can imagine some other organizations that I've been involved with or interacted with where that wouldn't have been the case. It would have just been like everything would have went completely to crap once once the tank transmission blew. I'm like, okay, well, we can't do this. You know, so, yeah. You know, it's interesting. It's almost like this idea of, genuine leadership like it's almost like choosing not to indulge in self-pity not to indulge in blame and just focus on what you can actually influence kind of like stoicism like don't waste time on what you can't control try and focus on what you can't control or what you can influence and it's like it's such a pleasure to work with people like that 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 they're not indulging in their negative emotions they're 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 full effort and energy is put into how do I make things better now? Yeah. Aren't those people great to be around? It's a lot more convenient really at the end of the day to work with people who don't respond in that way, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's better because I think people, there are people who strive to be in a place of stoicism, like, Oh, this doesn't bother me. Ah, it didn't bother me. It's fine, but it does. And so they deny that part of themselves. And so, you know, that stuff just gets stuffed down in there and, you know, it ends up coming out in all kinds of, who knows what kind of way, you know, alcoholism or they're late to work every day for some reason, or they, whatever it is. So the whole stoicism thing or being absent of emotion is a goal, but it, there is a process to get to there. If you're not balanced, if you're not grounded, if you're not strengthened in those areas, it, honestly, in a lot of ways, it doesn't do you any good over the long term. Yeah, I feel like I feel like there's like when you actually read 
Marcus Aurelius or Epictetus yeah. from 2,500 years ago or stuff like that. It's different than like the the media version of Stoicism or something. Yeah. Like, these guys actually didn't claim not to have emotions or something like this. You know, like like I, it's almost like when people are trying to do what they think Stoicism should be instead yeah. of instead of actually like you know this idea of like it was like it was it wasn't like when i think about the stuff i've read of theirs you know whatever that translations of the original are right it to I'm me it, it feels or at least the helpful parts that i've taken from it feel like hey you don't have to pretend not to have emotions you don't have to pretend to not have like a knee jerk reaction about something it's just that kind of like Viktor Frankl, like realize I have a choice. Am I going to continue with my knee jerk reaction or am I going to choose my emotions from here on out? You know, like, and I'm totally with you. And that takes, that takes development. Like practice, you know what I mean? And it, yeah, it, for sure. It does, you know, honoring however it is that you feel and then figuring out how you're going to channel and, and, you know, exude whatever your response is going to be out at the end. But it kind of I, goes I back it, to what is that you were saying, like, what is, well, what is, is I'm super ticked and yeah. I have a choice whether I'm going to indulge in that feeling or go solve the problem. You know, they're both, they can both be true. I don't know if you feel differently. Nope. I feel exactly the same way that you do in my experience. That takes a long time to get there of specific focus on trying to, what is that? And to build sort of that muscle and not everybody spends time building that muscle, but many, many people, I think maybe, read the abridged version and say, okay, I'm not going to respond now. I'm not going to do this, you know, whatever. And then it just comes out, you know, steam in the ears and that. And, that. and so, yeah, I, I, we're, we're talking about the same thing. I just, I just feel like in, in order to be with it, with it, with a group of people who, who can process it in that way, like, Hey, you know, I can choose how to do this and I'm going to take whatever higher road I think is what it is. In order for that to be genuine, there has to be real strength and development and awareness that needs to go on. And that's not common that I, that I've seen. It just, it, it just isn't common. They, they take the shortcut and say, well, I'm, I'm just not going to, I'm just not going to tell you, or I'm just not going to, you know, I'll, I'll deal with it later, whatever, which are like you said, completely they're not even the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, maybe if we have time for one more story, I feel like one of my other favorite things to ask special operations forces guys is who's somebody maybe early in your career, maybe not that had a really big impact on you. Like who did you look up to or who, who did you want to be more like in your career or who, who's somebody that had a big positive impact on you? And can you tell us any kind of a story of a, like an example of what they're like? Is there anybody that comes to mind? I know I'm putting you on the spot. No, the one person that keeps coming to mind is Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, you know, I mean, it's it obviously has nothing to do with your, your answer or your question, really. I've had so many great leaders in the sense of like, yeah, I want to, I want to emulate this guy. I want to mirror, mirror what that guy's doing. But I think there's just, and I think we could all agree that there's so much value in the people that teach us, you know, that's, that's not how I want to do stuff as, as well. Yeah. I think, I think. And you don't have to name right, names, but is there no, you know, anybody think, in the teams I, that you could, you can think of or what they were like? Yeah. So my first, so there's a, there's a position 
in the Navy, it's called leading petty officer or LPO. And it is the bridge between kind of the sled dogs and the leadership. LPOs aren't quite leadership yet, but that's their next step. And so they're the conduit between, you know, the boys on the ground and, and the guys making all the calls. And showing up as a new guy in the SEAL teams is not the most comfy of, of jobs. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, <laughs> yeah, 100%, 100%. And, you know, just to the ultimate level of not only you're FNG, but you're an FNG here. And what you don't know is going to get us all killed. And, you know, you say everything and you should die and all that. Which, you know, for, oh, I guess for everyone else, sounds for effing new guy, but go on. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. And so I was, LPOs are, they're human beings, of course. And so you never know what kind of LPO you're going to get. My first LPO was, and, and my first, we call it a task unit back then, was full of guys who had been to war together multiple times. They, they you know, their brand was that we were the most aggressive task unit in the SEAL teams. And so showing up to that, and being a medic at heart, having a heart, you know, loving people and that kind of stuff. Like I was, I was very quickly, like it, I was, <laughs> I was in an unfamiliar territory and I just so happened to find and, or the LPO that I had saw who I was and he saw that I wasn't necessarily was like one of these guys, not like the other, you know, but instead of you know, getting rid of me instead of, you know, showing me the door, or kind of weeding me out or whatever it was. He continued to, he continued to remind them. And don't forget, I showed up the SEAL team as well, like an older dude. You know, I was, you know, some of these guys are showing up there 21, 22 years old. I was like 30 or 31 or something like that at the time. And, but I still felt like a baby just being there and just not necessarily fitting. And as this, as, as we went on, he just really made sure to continually remind me to don't, to not change that, that there was value in, in who I was. It may not necessarily be like everybody else's, but I was there to be a paramedic or, or a medic on the SEAL teams. And, and he knew that I was a civilian paramedic for like five years before I got there. So I had all this experience, like there was value in, in my purpose and place of being there. And just because I wasn't, you know, chopping at the bit to, to, you know, to kill everybody I saw, he saw that there was still value in me. And when you, when you're in like these alone places, cause you could be in a room full of people and be completely alone. I was completely alone when I was with these guys, but when he would walk into the room, I was like, okay, I got, I got one guy and he's, you know, and he, he was, you know, he was like a boss to me for sure. And to have that to be so unfitting, like in the sense of, you know, not meshing with this, but still to be welcoming and valued is something that I'll never forget. And so it's, it, it's easy for me to see that in others. You know, if somebody's not like one or the other, like, okay, well, what is it about you? That's amazing. And so let's, you know, let's make sure that, that we get to reap the rewards of, of your awesomeness rather than, oh, you're not like us. So you can just leave now. Yeah. It's a big influence. And any, you know, just the SEALs are, SEAL teams are such a small community. I spent most of my time on the East Coast, but, and even it's funny in the SEAL teams, there's a lot of segregation between the East and West Coast. It just, it, it just is the way it is, but remaining on the East Coast, I, I, I got to, 
sort of be involved in, in being in connection with this guy throughout my career and throughout his and see him go off and do amazing, great things. Yeah, I was really grateful to have him in my life. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a great story. I'm thinking about the work application of that. And if, there's a lot of research that say that like if your employee, if your employee has at least one real friend at work, your retention factor goes way up. If they feel like mm -hmm. they've got at least one real friend. And it's an interesting question. I think as a boss, you know, do I know who my staff's real friend is? Like, do like have in my stewardship of, you know, in my caring about my people, do I know that everybody has somebody else, or have I made sure my managers have made sure like, you know, is that, is that something that's on my radar? Um, I mean, look at how powerful it was for you and think about like, had you been weeded out the 15 years of benefit our country wouldn't have gotten from, from your service there. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think about that a lot. And, and not only that, but what, what I was bringing to the table from having all of those years of failure too coming in, like I wasn't just a new guy. And that makes me understand that, that no one is just a new guy. There's all this stuff that we're, that, that we're bringing. So yeah, for sure. The 15 year post career that went on from there, you know, in my 30 years of life prior to all this stuff, you know, as a brand new medic, I don't know how many shot gunshot wounds I treated already on the streets of Massachusetts, Florida, and Hawaii, you know, as you know, having my own leadership positions in within the ambulance companies and things like that. I had all this leadership. I had all of this stuff, stabbings, high velocity impacts, you know, from car crashes and those, all of that stuff was new to me. I was, was, I, I'd done it a million times. In fact, I remember a comment somebody made when I showed up to the team, they're like, they're like, man, you, you're going to show up to combat and you're going to have already done everything. And I thought, I told him, I said, you know, the one thing that I haven't experienced was I've never had to treat anybody that I loved. I don't know what that's going to be like. And it turns out um, it was just the same. So, yeah, there, just because you don't see the value doesn't mean that it's not there. There'll be the, human beings are entirely complex. We can have a whole podcast on just <laughs> the complexity of human beings. So if you look at somebody and don't see value, it's because you're not looking. And maybe that's something within the self that you got to pay closer attention to. But there is value there. There's genius in everyone. So if you're not spending time to tap into that, you know, you're just missing out on this whole huge aspect of the people that you actually have working for you. And one of the things you're talking about, like, I don't know if my people have friends or not. You know, as a business owner, like you, or, or as a CEO or whatever, you can create these environments to allow those things to kind of happen. The value of people, and then understanding and creating like these, these scenarios where people can, where you're facilitating these friendships to develop in military units and, and things like that. It's almost like how you do work is creating those situations to happen. You know, because when we spend the entire day out on the range and we're shooting guns and we're, you know, running around and moving stuff and we have helicopters coming in all of that's kind of like a team building experience it is you know it, it is how we go about doing work but for organizations that don't have that you know highly recommend getting your people out of you know the buildings that you're in and having them engage in completely different ways than than, than they're used to because you know friendships that may not necessarily have been i mean you think about people who are in sales and then people who are in in you know, HR, or whatever, like they don't interact or the scientists don't interact with the salespeople or, or whatever, you know, creating those environments where they're, you know, standing shoulder to shoulder, or just experiencing these things together can promote those things where 
yeah. Oh, wait a minute. I got a whole army of people that are awesome right here where I work. It's amazing. Yeah, it's great. Listen, this has been awesome. I think everybody should be going to check out thetridentapproach.com. Anything you want to leave us with here today? Yes. One of the most common things that I'm noticing in, in all my interactions with either big time companies or individuals, because we coach individuals as well, is almost nearly every issue or problem that they have with a relationship at home or at work can all be rooted to the self. But it's just a matter of uncovering that stuff and seeing how am I contributing to the problem as it is. And, and it, obviously that takes a really honest approach and you have to be good at it. So it takes, but I would challenge you to whenever you are having difficult relationships, wherever they may be, is to kind of let those emotions kind of come and go, let it be what it is. And then, and then after that say, okay, is there anything that I am doing that's facilitating this situation from being the way it is? And, and almost always you'll, you'll find, oh yeah, you know, this is, this is part on me too. And it's all good. It's nobody's fault, but it's just, if you want to make any changes, starting with the self rather than here, I got to fix my team because they're broken. You know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, I need to look at my leadership uh, practices and all that stuff first before I go to them. Any thoughts on that? I, I feel like there's like a real balance being with that. If they're like, I could do that in a way where I'm like going through the motions and I'm really pre-decided it's mostly their problem. And like, mm -hmm. I'm intellectually listening to a couple of things of mine, but not actually believing it. Yeah. And then there can be the other side where I'm like, I'm taking responsibility for their decisions for every, and yeah. I must be an ogre and dump on myself. And any mm -hmm. thoughts about like down the middle of that balance beam of like the correct, the helpful, the, the deep down honest version of how I contributed to this problem without underdoing or overdoing it? It's very hard to do that. It's really, really hard to do that very honestly. But the best way to get past all of that is to get to a place where you understand your ego for what it is. When the more you understand about your ego, the easier, you know, your question comes to answer. Because now you're, now you're starting to say, okay, this is my ego. Either it's all my fault or it's only their fault. Okay, cool. I hear what you're saying. But the more in touch you are with your true self, it's very clear. Things things come very clear. So all of this what I was saying before where it kind of takes time, but it's okay. The only people who are concerned about time are people. Like the universe doesn't care that it takes you 50 years to figure out a, you know, a, an answer to the question. It doesn't matter. So what I would say is it it all it, everything is just like the weight room. So if if you're struggling to figure out, you know, what role you do or don't play, just just do it anyway and just know, boy, this is one of the most powerful lessons that that I learned, I feel, is, is that, you know, I'm not going to do it right and I can't go wrong. And so as long as you're practicing, as long as you understand that, you know, you just like everyone else is a work in progress and you just let it be, you, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some, whatever it is. But just the pursuit, as long as it's rooted in good or in truth, real truth, it's all, it's all good. You're not going to get it right. Don't worry about it. You're not going to get it wrong because when you do get it wrong, there are lessons to be learned from that. And, and that's, that's life, you know, that that's what we're doing here. So it's all good. Okay. I feel like that's a mic drop moment right there. Mic drop. That's it. This is awesome. <laughs> hey, thanks again for doing this. 
I appreciate you so much, Jess. Thank you so much. I had a, had a really good time. Oh, great. Me too. I had like really great time. Hey, you need to write a book and we'll have you back on the podcast. You can come talk about it. It's coming early next year. Really? So, okay, let's yeah. schedule it. Let's have you back on once it's out. Once it's out. I appreciate you so much for asking us back. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. Bye, everyone.